Welcome to God's Kingdom Outside the Box. I'm your host, Jim Vince, and in today's episode, we're talking about the purpose of dreams, visions, and heavenly encounters. These things are not intended to give us great stories and spiritual experiences, but they're really meant to draw us to a new level of understanding and intimacy with Christ and understanding what he's doing in the earth and how we're to participate with him in what he's doing. fall of 1990 and I traveled to Nepal, a small country sandwiched in between North India and Tibet, China. And a lot of stuff happened on that trip. There was danger and deliverance on really just so many fronts, uh, which included a quick exit from where we were hanging out one afternoon to avoid being arrested. It was Hindu Westerners, ironically, who were stirring up trouble for us rather than the Nepali people themselves. And the Nepalis actually enjoying the music I was playing, I had pulled out my guitar and began to lead a small group of friends that I was traveling with in in quiet worship of Jesus. We were in a place where you could worship any of three million gods, but apparently Christ was the one God that couldn't be worshipped at least there, and I get it though, it's a spiritual battle. And for Nepali Christians, they were enduring persecution themselves. Things were getting better, but over the years, many had been imprisoned, beaten, or killed for their faith. Uh, I had the opportunity to have conversation with a couple different pastors who I had met there and who had faced great hardship. I, I got to hear their stories firsthand. You know, it made me think we really don't know yet in America what it means to truly be persecuted for our faith. Earlier that year, there was violence between police and protesters, and that violence was escalating. There was a number of demonstrators who marched on the Capitol, uh, Kathmandu, you know, demanding democracy. And police moved in, and many people were hurt or killed when the police opened fire on the crowds. Now, we didn't hear so much about that. Uh, in, in the United States because at the forefront of the news around that time was the demonstrations that had taken place in Tiananmen Square uh, uh, in Beijing, China. And in that situation, again, there was hundreds or thousands of, of pro-democracy protesters who had occupied Tiananmen Square I, literally for weeks, I believe. And uh, finally, to deal with it, the Chinese Communist government sent in tanks and soldiers, and basically there was a massacre uh, that took place uh, in order to try to clear that square. Well, the same thing happened in Kathmandu, which didn't get wide uh, media attention, but it happened nonetheless. 
And so here it was uh, a few months after that situation in Kathmandu uh, where I was there. And it was my last day there. I'd been there for three weeks. And uh, there was, a, as I said earlier, a group of us were there. And there was a friend and I who were the last two to leave. And we were um, kind of walking around Kathmandu for one last time before we were going to go get our luggage and head to the airport. And we watched a long line of police uh, come running by us. We heard a noise and looked up, and heavily armed policemen were uh, on either side of the street. I mean, so close to me, I could actually reach my hand out and touch them if I wanted to. And uh, for missionary friends who were living there, uh, it was disconcerting for them because to them it began to look like the same situation that had happened uh, months earlier when the first demonstrations and violence took place. And so there was this kind of concern and, and, and small fear that, oh no, are we, are we heading for the same type of situation? And so we just didn't know what was going to go on. And, and so, we're, you know, but what was triggering all this, there was a reason why the police were, were starting to organize in the streets. Um, the king of Nepal was making a speech that afternoon to announce his intentions concerning whether or not he would allow a constitution to be the platform for government, which if not the case, Nepal would remain as a Hindu kingdom and, you know, ruled by those guidelines instead. So depending on how this went down, the, the potential was for mass rioting. And, and if that happened, most likely would mean for me a forced stay in the country because uh, the airport would most likely shut down and nobody would be able to get out of the country. Um, so anyways, we didn't know what was going to happen and we were waiting along with the rest of everybody uh, for this uh, announcement from the king. And so it happened late in the afternoon. It was The announcement was finally made over national radio. The king announced the adoption of a constitution was going to be the new way forward and you know for the governing of that nation. And so the majority of the people ended up prevailing, getting what they wanted, and the anticipated violence was averted. And for me, that meant my, uh, my planned departure was a go. five years later my wife and I were on the road in California working with a church and we were staying in the home of a family from the congregation and it was after the Sunday morning service we were back at the house and I was uh, feeling a little bit tired uh, dinner wasn't quite ready yet so I, I went down to our guest room uh, where we were staying in the basement to lay down and rest a little bit and as I was laying there, I wasn't asleep yet, but my, uh, my eyes were closed and I, I became aware that I was seeing a vision taking place. I was hovering over the nation of Nepal. Millions of lights were below. It was like I was looking down at the lights of a city at night while flying over it at 30,000 feet. Um, except I was seeing these lights across the entire country, not just a city. And as I watched, they were turning off in a slow moving ripple from east to west so that so you know as lights were going off, it was like this wave of darkness, you know, was sweeping across the land. 
and it continued until every light that I could see wasn't lit any longer. Uh, in my mind, I was assuming that the darkness wasn't a good thing. I was thinking, you know, you know, is it this wave of darkness that's covering the land? Uh, but then it was like this revelation just dropped into my spirit. You know, sometimes we we see things in these visions and we make assumptions about them, and and really we need to let the Holy Spirit bring understanding and interpretation and and it was like that in this moment here where I was thinking this was a wave of darkness when when the spirit brought revelation and it happened in an instant I immediately understood that I was seeing a wave of revival instead so I haven't thought about this vision for years until uh, I was recently talking with a friend. Him and his wife had gotten married in Nepal, and they were working there until uh, all the earthquakes that happened uh, took place there. They were there during the earthquakes and tried to help bring some relief. And, and then they ended up coming home to face kind of the next season of their lives, right? And so now they're back in the United States, and he's telling me, of the incredible revival that's come to that nation and and that the nation was even barely recognizable from the place it once was so you know right away i'm thinking wow i had this vision right of of that the holy spirit interpreted for me as being a wave of revival sweeping across the land and here he's telling me that you can't even recognize the country anymore because of the revival that's taken place there and you know so with that vision in mind i just find it amazing how god reveals to us what he's doing in the earth he wasn't showing me a vision back in 95 so i could have a cool experience or tell a neat story right? He was revealing to me something that was on his heart for these people. So when God lifts us out of ourselves and into the heavens, it's, it's not for spiritual experience, but it's to give us an understanding of heaven's perspective concerning something that's going on. And it could be for a person, it could be a situation, it could be for a nation. I think it could even be for ourselves, and this is really the heart and purpose of dreams, visions, and mystical encounters. It's to know God on a more intimate level. And when we start to recognize him speaking to us in these ways, it's, it's really easy to get it caught up in the awe of the experience, you know, because it's really cool. And it, it can almost be distracting, you know, how cool it is. But you have to be careful that when this happens, to not let the excitement of these real realities cause us to miss out on the reason why he gives the revelation in the first place. You know, Jesus in Matthew 6.33 told us to seek first the kingdom of God. All right. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to desire spiritual gifts. And so it is pretty good and it's right to be excited about the vision, to be excited about the experience. Go after these things even harder, but just keep in mind his intention behind it. It's not for the spiritual experience, but it's for the sake of what he's revealing to his people and and leading them in how to pray and uh, uh, interact with and and participate with him in what he's doing in the nations.
let me share one more story with you that highlights what I just said. The year before I was in Nepal, I was in Europe and Russia, and in two months I covered 14 countries. And so uh, on that trip, I arrived in the city of Berlin the day after that the people began to tear down what was then known as the Berlin Wall. It was an amazing privilege to be there and and, uh, and witness, literally witness history in the making. Incredible, incredible time. I can't believe I had the opportunity to be there. If you aren't aware, back at this time, when that Berlin Wall was coming down, uh, Berlin was a city that was situated in the heart of what was known then as East Germany. So Germany wasn't one country like it is today. It was two countries. There was West Germany and East Germany. West Germany was a free society, uh, very you know free Western society like America, and uh, East Germany was a communist country, and. Uh, there was a, it was called the Iron Curtain at that time. So there was this line, the border, and, and quite literally in many places, literally a wall that was erected in these nations to keep their citizens from escaping to the West. And uh, so it was probably like one of the, the most massive prisons in world history, you know, entire nations being imprisoned. Um, but that's how it was. And Berlin was in East Germany. So East Germany was this communist country and sitting in the heart of East Germany is the city of Berlin. And the thing that's interesting about Berlin is that even though it was situated in the heart of East Germany as a communist country, Berlin like the Germanies, was also divided. So the city was divided in half by what was called the Berlin Wall. And on the west side of the wall was a Berlin that was like, a, it was a free capitalist society. And on the eastern side of the wall, it was communist. And in if you could see these the differences between these two places, it was like when you cross from West Berlin, the free side, into East Berlin, the communist side, it was like time stopped. Old cars and everything, the buildings were covered in soot and grime from, from coal burning, and it, it was like time stopped and never advanced in the East, you know, and communism just has a way of really destroying nations. So in the same way as East and West Germany were divided, Berlin was divided, right? And it ran through the city, cut it in half, and on the communist side was barbed wire, minefields, machine gun towers, all these things, and they were at designated checkpoints to prevent people from escaping from the East to the West. And now, I remember hearing stories of people over the decades leading up to this time so many lost their lives trying to make the escape from east to west and uh, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but we were still en route to Berlin on the train and just entering East Germany so I'm on the train in West Germany we come up to the border and train stops and you know, customs people get on, whatever. I, I don't remember all the details, but then we slowly, finally started to proceed into East Germany. So I'm sitting there at the window, and I'm looking out at the machine gun towers that are there. And they were all along the border of, of East and West. And as I said before, to prevent escaping from East Germany into West, they, you know, it was a big prison system, so to speak. As we passed through the border, I was just literally overwhelmed by the reality of what I was seeing. These towers were real, okay? I was looking at them just a few feet from me, 
Okay, after hearing about these things for so many years, here I was now looking at these things and seeing, wow, these things really do exist. And at that moment, I had an encounter with the Lord where I was just overcome with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And even though I wasn't seeing anything in the form of a vision at this time, I had a very clear understanding of God's anger against this system. So it was a sense inside of me, right? More than like a vision that I was seeing. It was just this sense and this hunch inside. And that type of discernment is every bit good and powerful as any picture we can see, right? Both manifestations, whether it's that that inner voice, that hunch, or uh, that inner voice through a manifestation of a picture, right? Each of those are powerful and they lift us into the heavens where we can then understand by the Spirit what's taking place. And I remember I stood in the hallway of that train and I, I pointed my finger out the window and with absolute confidence, assurance, and this, this sense of authority that just kind of swept over me. I spoke out loud and I prophesied against the walls and the machine gun towers and the spirits behind it all. And I decreed this general sense I had of God's anger against those dark spiritual forces. And I was commanding them to be torn down in the name of Jesus. Fast forward a few weeks later, I'm now back home in Cleveland, Ohio. It was morning and I was waking up and climbing out of bed before my feet even hit the floor. I I just all of a sudden became strongly aware of the sense of God's judgment. And I didn't know what it meant, but the sense of it was just thick, you know, in the atmosphere around me. I I don't know how else to describe it. I I woke up and it just immediately, I, I... I was aware of his judgment, and at first I was a little concerned because I was like, God, are you judging me? But I didn't really get that sense that the judgment was against me, but I just didn't understand what was going on, Um, just that I sensed it and it was really thick, right? I got up, I dressed, I went out into the living room, and no one was around. I, I poured a bowl of cereal and turned on the television, and the first thing I saw were video feeds being broadcast from Romania. Military forces were attacking the capital and they were fighting against the forces that were still loyal to Nikolai Ceausescu. So Nikolai Ceausescu, he was the communist dictator of the country at that time. And his regime literally ruled in absolute brutality against the Romanian people. And as I watched... And, and I'm watching this battle go on, right? Um, the, the, the Romanian forces are fighting against Ceausescu's forces and trying to overthrow him. And as I was watching this, all of a sudden, this understanding and a revelation came to me from a heavenly perspective. And, and in that moment, I immediately knew what was going on and why I had awoken right? With such a strong sense of God's judgment. And I remember how clearly I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And and I heard in my spirit, the battle you're watching now on TV is a reflection of the spiritual battle that's going on in the heavens over that place. And and it was just like being on the train, this, this absolute authority and this clarity came over me and I stood there in my mom's apartment in Northeast Ohio and like I pointed at the wall when I was on the train, I pointed my finger at the television and I just demanded 
that the demonic forces be silent. I said, I declare their judgment. I command you in the name of Jesus to yield to God's governmental decrees decided against you, right? And so I was just going ahead and I was proclaiming these things and and uh, speaking these ju- judgments and declarations against the spiritual forces that were fighting in that in that part of the world at that moment. And think of this verse here found in John 8:16. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. All right, and here's a verse from John 12:49, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So here I am in Northeast Ohio. I could decree this decree because I heard God's word in my spirit. It it manifested first as a strong sense of his judgment as I woke that morning. And then that revelation of the battle being a reflection uh, in the earth of what was going on as a battle in the heavenlies. So I was exercising governmental rule from his kingdom. And my judgment was true because I wasn't speaking on my own. I was only speaking what I heard the Father say. And I was doing it at that moment just like Jesus said he did it. Within a couple hours, the fighting had stopped. The news was broadcasting images of Ceausescu and his wife. They were dead, executed, you know, for their crimes against the Romanian people. And it wasn't long after this that the communist rule ended in East Germany, too. And it didn't take very long for the two Germanies to be reunited, right? Um, Wow, what an amazing time. God's spirit was moving over these Iron Curtain nations. And in the same moment, he was moving over Nepal, and he was moving over China, and changes were, were taking place faster than anybody could have anticipated uh, across the globe and in these, these uh, countries that had been dominated for so many years by communism. And there was more going on in other nations. I already mentioned Beijing, you know, and Tiananmen Square. Uh, I had walked in that specific location only a couple years earlier before being in Europe, right? Uh, Where that scene of the brutal attack of the military against thousands of democracy protesters. Many gunned down by the government, right? News feeds showed video footage of a Chinese student who was standing down a line of military tanks in Beijing. In Bulgaria, another country behind the Iron Curtain, my rock band, I I had a rock band at that time, and we had been traveling uh, all over the United States playing music. And anyways, we were one of several uh, Christian bands who got the opportunity to travel together and then perform all around the country of Bulgaria. There was a man named Georgian Banoff, a native Bulgarian who had escaped from his homeland, and he made it to the United States having been granted asylum. He was one of the leaders of our our musical entourage. In Western Christian music, he was known as one of the members of the group Silverwind. Uh, So he was the male singer of that group, if you remember the band Silverwind or the the group Silverwind. Thousands um, gathered, by the way, at these music events across the country. And so 
we as a group of bands, I, I don't remember how many of us there were. There were probably seven to ten different bands. And I remember we traveled around the country in a bus. And we would go to these different venues all over the country. And we would play our music. And we'd use the opportunity to share Christ and preach from the stage. And then be out in the amongst the audience and, and with those that we could talk with, talking. Uh, it wasn't always easy to do that because of language barriers, but... Uh, uh, in in many cases, there was translators, and I remember one time in Sofia, Bulgaria, I got in a conversation with a Bulgarian man, and he didn't know English, and I didn't know Bulgarian, but we both spoke Spanish, and so for literally two hours, we talked together in Spanish, and I shared the gospel with him, and uh, it, it was an amazing time. But in in this one city, <clears throat> someone from the crowd approached one of our team, and and just spoke about how for 50 years the constant message of the government was that there is no God. And they were like, how is it that you're here telling us now that there is a God? Like they had been bombarded for 50 years with this message, there is no God. And now all these people are here saying that there was. And you know, many during this campaign heard probably for the first time about a relationship with Jesus that they could have for themselves. And so... Uh, this did touch off uh, not too long afterwards a, a pretty pretty strong revival that started to take place in in these countries and across these lands. Spiritual walls were coming down. You know, eventually Bulgarians were coming to Christ so fast that there wasn't enough churches and spiritual leaders to deal with the large number of new believers. I mean, literally, this stuff happened very very quickly. So China, Romania, Germany. Nepal, Bulgaria, you know, God wasn't forgetting these people whose heart cry was for freedom, nor the millions who prayed for decades, you know, and the others who physically laid down their lives, those who tried to escape from some of these nations and paid the, the ultimate price. This moment in world history was marked by an interesting manifestation of movements across unrelated peoples and countries. I know I'm not the only one to have recognized earthly events as shadows of heavenly ones, but I do wonder how many Christians really understood what was going on from heaven's point of view. As Christians, we must be continuously vigilant in our pursuit of Christ, all right? And, and growing in our intimate and what I referred to as our mystical union with him. It's imperative, right, that we learn how to engage heaven and draw out of there godly wisdom and responses that are suitable for our day. Back then, I, I participated with God in world events by, number one, recognizing the language of my dreams, recognizing my visions, and, and later by learning how to work with these and other heavenly encounters and actually do something, right? to pray or to make declarations and decrees against the enemy. Uh, it, it, you know, our, our action could be whatever the Holy Spirit directs us to do, but the key is that we hear him, we see what he's doing, and then we respond accordingly, right? And so why does God give us these experiences? He, I think he does so in order to paint us into the bigger picture of heaven. You know, through it we get closer to him as we begin to understand a deeper aspect of his heart. In uh, John 5.19, Jesus gave this answer. He said, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. One day, I, I was coming home from work, and I pulled into the driveway, and as I stepped from the truck, I clearly heard the Holy Spirit say to me, if you can see it, you can have it. So once I begin to see him, it results in me being able to do something which leads to me bringing it out of heaven and into the earth. It's not a formula, but rather it's a, a, a critical life principle, right? See the Father, do what I see him do. It can be as easy as entering into or, uh, or it could be as it can be as easy to enter into as laying your head down on your pillow with faith in your heart, determined to pay attention to and learn the language of your dreams, or taking note of that random thought that appeared in your mind seemingly out of nowhere as you step from your car. The key is cultivate an awareness of these heavenly cues. Ask the Holy Spirit for understanding. And I think it's something you don't even have to have a lot of faith for, right? In Luke 17, 6, Jesus says, or talks about faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. With even that small of a seed of faith, you can move mountains. So these encounters, right, when mingled with whatever level of faith you carry, they become your pathway to deeper connection with God. And that's what it's all about. You've been listening to God's Kingdom Outside the Box. If you enjoyed this episode, please let me know. I'd love to hear your comments, your questions about what we talked about today. And also let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to cover in a future broadcast. You can email me at jim at jimvince.com. And you can also leave me a voicemail from the show notes. And that's it. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.